Well, how's things? How you been? Good, real good. Yeah, just staying busy and got a lot going on. Getting uh, getting ready to head down south to warmer weather. Uh, head out of Montana and go hit some of that southern sixty degree temps. Hopefully, um, when you when you leaving? Yeah, we we I leave twenty uh, fourth day after my daughter's birthday and. Gosh, we've been in the minus temps up here for a while, so it'll be a treat. I think uh, about the time I leave, it'll probably get above zero. But yeah, it's always it's always a treat going down there this time of year. You know, whether it's Arizona or across the border, it's um, you know we go from minus temps to you know having the diesels plugged in every morning to to nice warm temps and short sleeves. So it's not bad. I'll take yeah, it. You doing uh, Mexico, or Arizona? Yeah, I'm doing Mexico this year. Uh, gotcha. I don't, I don't know if I'll do it again next year. I did it last year. Uh, we did Arizona prior to that, and um, I'll probably end up trying to go back to Arizona next year. But I'm kind of liking this Mexico thing. Um, never really had a whole lot of expectations of going down there, but last year got an opportunity and tried it, loved it, and left a deer on the mountain that I'd really like to go back for it was kind of the the twin to the one i ended up taking last year and so there's a reason to go back this year and um and i got another opportunity to do it so took it so i'm gonna go down and try to try to get uh, the twin to the one i got last year that's the goal gotcha same yeah. same, same general area or different areas do you think same area same area ones? yeah it's interesting like the buck that i ended up taking last year he uh there was one it's very low density it just happens to be a low density spot mm -hmm. but um that same drain is that same basin uh same day i saw another buck in there that was that was running does and he almost was like his twin brother to the one that that i ended up taking um maybe just a little bit smaller but he had a, a similar mm -hmm. kicker and just a great buck you know and so you know i'm hoping he he didn't shrink at all and and stays in that zone, I think you probably will. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's kind of like a a reason. And then there was one other buck that uh, the other guys that Brad saw that kind of got them excited that uh, they never did get their crosshairs on. So mm -hmm. they've got a, a reason to go back down and they've got some redemption coming. Even though we all took bucks last year, you know, yeah. just for the fact that we saw a couple of other matures, it, it's bringing us back. Yeah. So going to see what we that's, can do that's fun man it's fun when you got an area where you you've hunted it and you see multiple bucks and you can kind of just put it in your back pocket and you hunt it year after year yeah we learned it so well last year right it's mm -hmm. it's uh you know i kind of go both ways on that i love going back to places you know we all learn things and they're they're valuable and i feel like you you get to know the animals but then there's also the new like ah, i want to see something else i want to go mm -hmm. learn another piece but um you know, maybe a couple of years in each spot is that, is that magic in between that works. Um, so I'm giving this one two years and I think we're, well, I know we're going in this year with a lot of knowledge. You know, we learned the area, it's a huge place. And so we spent a lot of our days last year on a 12 day hunt, just learning and mm -hmm. moving country and looking at a lot of different places. And, you know, one thing that's cool last year, it was very like it's heavily we had a lot of rain i mean a ton of rain mm -hmm. so everywhere had water like every single drainage had puddles every single drainage had a trickle 
and you know usually that's great that's great for growth maybe but um you know i think what it did we didn't see a ton of deer we saw very few in fact comparable to the arizona side yet as we see a ton of deer and um i think they were just spread out a little bit mm-hmm. which is fine made us work it was good but this year it's a little less water and so maybe they'll be congregated a little bit more and maybe we'll see a, a handful more bucks than we saw last year i don't know but yeah a little bit of excitement there just you know a little bit different conditions this time than than what we experienced last time mm-hmm. i know with i mean i, I have very limited uh, experience in hunting coos deer, but I know it's like mule deer. Seems like wet years, it'll spread them across the landscape. Yeah, you know, it just seems like yeah. they can make they can carve out a living a lot more easier and a lot more you know different areas. So just kind of it's not that they're not there; it just kind of spreads them out across the landscape. Spreads that much. them out. Yeah. yeah, and I would too, right? I mean, gosh, you get a low water year, uh, no monsoons, and mm-hmm. and very few puddles, and man, that just means predators are on your tail. So when the water's you know plentiful and it's spread out. I, if I was a deer, I think I'd hope I'd do the same. You know, I'd be moving away from them um, traditional water holes and and uh, spending more time in other countries. So yeah. that's if all goes well, that's what happened um, last year. And this year is going to be less water, and um, maybe we'll see a little bit more activity. But man, I mean, not that low dense areas are are a bad thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, coos deer are just. I mean, you pretty much just live by your glass, you know, you're spending all day glassing. And I will say I was a little surprised, like I was a little shocked. I, you know, you think of, oh, get it, finally get to go to Mexico and, and see how that side is and, you know, low hunting pressure. And, you know, maybe this is just going to be a Mecca for, for coos deer. And we got down there and I, I will say I was a little shocked, like it was pretty low, like we were really scraping to find you know, deer, just deer, and then, you know, bucks and then mature bucks. So it, it really gave us a good challenge and I enjoy that, yeah. but there's also fun and, uh, seeing a lot of critters, you know, and having yeah. a lot of different stocks. And, um, so maybe that'll be the case this year. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I guess before we get too, too far down the rabbit holes, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about more coos deer and, and all things, uh, hunting, but I, I probably should do an intro. I always get in trouble for not doing intros. So I just <laughs> right in. So I already hit record because I just, it's just easier sure. to hit record from the jump. But, uh, this is the Game Trail Podcast. Uh, I got a, a guest on today. I got Ryan Lampers. He was kind enough to put up with me, I think, for probably like the last three, four weeks, maybe a month when I was, <laughs> I was trying to work through some, uh, equipment. Uh, I'm a little bit old school in that, um, I've had the same, uh, MacBook since I think 2013, it's a 2013 model. And about a month and a half ago, uh, it just, the processor on it just gave up the ghost. It just wouldn't do what I needed to do. So I had to get a new computer, which took a month. Uh, I actually got a, I didn't even get a new one, Ryan. I got a hand-me-down. I got, uh, I got Omar's old computer because apparently he needs a faster or capable computer to do the things that he's doing than what I'm required to do. So, uh, new computer. Um, but I appreciate you putting up with me for the last month and then finally be, being able to make some time and jump on. Um, I guess before Just I get hearing all that trail, I yeah. have more respect for you even more. So no, that's great. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> I hate this stuff, man. I, I mean, computers, Same. computers and me are not, not best friends. You know, if, if I didn't have to use one, I wouldn't, but I'm right there um, with you. Yeah, I was building a I was building a spreadsheet yesterday, uh, just looking at some podcast numbers to send through the team to just kind of see how things are going and progressing over the last couple of years for the big hunt guys. And uh, 
I jumped on a call with Lane, who's our marketing manager over here. And I, you know, shared this spreadsheet with him and he, he's able to jump on and look at it. And in about, I don't know, 30 seconds, he's building graphs and doing things that I'd been like working along for four hours, just like trying to, uh, trying to build it, trying to make it look, you know, presentable for everybody else to look at. And he's just like, Oh, I'll just built that in 10 seconds. So, um, Dude, it's like magic to me. I don't know how people do it. I, I, I don't retain anything when it comes to computers. Uh, I know it's not a good thing. It's a fault, but uh, it just doesn't work for me. I, I appreciate those that are highly skilled and have all these mm-hmm. talents, but I'm not one of them. Yeah, not I think we just didn't grow up with it, right? Like I, yeah. I got my first cell phone when I was like 26. I remember. No. So one of the heck, when I went to school, I remember, you know, we were learning on typewriters. You know, I remember yeah. the class where we were trying to, trying to knock out words on typewriters. So, yeah, yeah. it's changed. No. I hear you. So I guess before we get going, I just want to hit you with a promo. Uh, anybody that might be listening, if you guys want to sign up for a GoHunt Insider account, uh, you can use the promo code uh, GameTrail. It's just G-A-M-E-T-R-A-I-L. Uh, if you do that, we're going to give you 50 points back at a GoHunt gear shop. Um, also, just wanted to, to recognize and thank Matthews as a sponsor. Um, those guys have been great to us, and you know, I've been out shooting my bow even in the dead winter, and even though it's been cold. It could be colder. I wish it was a little bit colder, maybe a little bit more snow. We got a little bit, but we could use some more still. But um, just wanted to hit that real quick. And then, uh, like I said, I got Ryan Lampers on. Uh, I'm just going to pepper him with a bunch of questions. So I hope he's he's ready yeah. today. I hope, hope to learn from him. Um, I guess one of the things that I've noticed lately, Ryan, that you've been doing, I've been following along with you a little bit on social media, are these uh, fasts. Mm. Yeah. So you've been, you've been doing a water fast, a food fast. You've been doing some yeah. hiking like some backpacking with the goats. I was curious as to what that's all about. Yeah. So, you know, I turned 50 this year trail. I'll start with that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, uh, not that necessarily that has everything to do with what I'm doing, you know, uh, challenge wise to myself, but, you know, I, I've always, uh, looked forward to throwing a few challenges in the mix every year. And most mm-hmm. of those have been physical, you know, whether it's like some Spartan races or some 10, 15 Ks and stuff like that. I've done that for a while. And, um, you know, at this point in my life, I thought, man, I'd like to do a little bit more. I'd like to kind of, um, you know, test not just the body, but some of my willpower and and mental strength and things like that. And, you know, you just, you just get to thinking a little bit more when you're 50, like, man, there's some things that I want to try. And, you know, I've got some really good friends that are, absolute geniuses when it comes to health and nutrition uh a a gentleman that i actually took on a hunt one time uh mike munsell metabolic mike over there he's uh he's a good buddy really good buddy of my wife's as well they went to school together and um man the guy's just a whiz at all things diet and keto and the science behind nutrition and all this kind of stuff and you know i've i've paid attention to him for a while and and uh you know, I've always like prided myself on, I think all of us are yourself, Brady, you know, you guys, you know, you have this mental strength and this toughness. And I think with that, you have willpower and um, discipline, you know, you have to be disciplined to be a, a really good all around hunter, I think, you know, um, mm-hmm. there's times in the mountains when you're sitting on a mule deer knob and, and you've been there for three or four days and nothing's happening and you have to have some discipline to be able to continue because you know what could happen or what might happen if you, if you stay disciplined. And, you know, this year I got to thinking about, you know, some ways that I can kind of introduce more of a, a mental challenge versus the physical and still putting the physical test to my old body. But, um, 
on the mental side, I wanted to just, uh, I had this curiosity, like, what could I do? I know the fasting has been talked about forever. And, and, uh, I started digging into, you know, the benefits of fasting and I was just curious about it and autophagy, you know, uh, where your mm-hmm. body, um, starves itself basically. And, and, you know, re rejuvenates these old cells and it causes your body to kind of kick out the old and bring in the new. And so, um, you know, I thought, man, I know, I know guys do this at their house and all this kind of thing. And they'll do like a day fast. And, and we've done day fasts in the past. We used to do it every Monday, my wife and mm-hmm. I, and it was a fun little test, but I wanted to up the, the game a little bit up the ante and, uh, try something like there's uh you know, a three day fast, a 72 hour fast. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've watched alone. I've, I used to watch survivor as a kid, you know, you see what these guys are doing. You always wonder, could I do that? Like, mm-hmm. I just think they're a bunch of sissies because they're, they're bonking and man, are they though? Or is it the food, the lack of food that's, that's really causing this. And so I, I wanted to see for myself. So I decided, um, I didn't want to do it at the house, just too many distractions and mm-hmm. um, another great opportunity to get into the mountains and, and glass up mule deer and possibly a wolf at the same time. Um, I thought, man, I'm just going to take three of my goats. I'm going to go hit the mountain. Uh, I'm going to take one meal, one dinner and a bunch of water. And I'm going to park it in a spot where I can get some exercise daily. And I can also just not eat for three days. You know, I, I wanted to get I wasn't going to back out until I at least hit that 72 hour mark. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. I, I took three of my goats up and, uh, I started out my fast the day, the night prior to me hiking in. Uh, so I already had a good nine, 10 hours in as I started in and got the five miles in there. And, and so I was fasted while hiking and it was a lot of elevation in, um, mm-hmm. and I spent the 72 hours up there and I was getting five miles a day in. And I will say like it opened my eyes when you're starved and you're fasted, you absolutely don't have the energy that you would with food. So, uh, no big shocker, but, um, it it was kind of like a revelation that, uh, yes, when you are not, uh, recovering and you're not introducing these foods and nutrients back into your body, well, you get wiped out pretty fast. And I noticed it on the third day when I, I got out for my morning, uh, trying to get up to the glass and, um, got about 300 yards up. And it just like, yeah, this is a bonk. This is what, this is what a bonk is. It's uh, no energy, just hands on my knees. Like, man, I'm wiped out. Yeah. So I went back and, and chilled out at the tent, cut some more firewood, stuff like that. I ended up getting my five miles in that day, but I went a different direction and, and kept it fairly flat. Just got the distance. Yeah. And in the end, I wanted to push it a little bit more. I felt great. Um, felt like I got everything I wanted out of it. So I went 86 hours. I ended up with an 86 hour fast. And, uh, it was at that point, I was like, all right, I think I, I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. Uh, saw some really nice mule deer bucks while I was here. Mm-hmm. Ones that escaped the hunting season. And, and so, uh, yeah, I ate my meal. I ended up only eating half of it just because, you know, stomach was shrunk at that point. It felt like yeah. uh, if I ate the whole thing, I was probably going to be regretting it. So then I hiked the five miles out and, and called it a day. Um, and I think what I got out of that is, yeah, it's absolutely possible. Like, uh, you know, it's definitely a mental thing that you have to overcome to be able to be by yourself, away from people. You don't have the ability to eat or snack because you didn't bring anything. You got one meal at the end that you get to look forward to. 
And I was consuming a lot of water and a lot of electrolytes and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to, you don't want to be, you don't want to put yourself into a dangerous situation. Um, yeah. But we can all survive on water and electrolytes, you know, for a pretty long oh, amount of time. Yeah. But yeah, in the end, um, you know, recovery was what got me at the end. Yeah. I, my body just was not recovering at all. So um, when I got back home, I realized dang, I am sore as all get out. My triceps from the trucking poles, my quads, my back, my calves, and I, I don't get sore anymore. You're probably like yourself. You've just done it so much. You don't have lactic acid mm-hmm. building up and you just don't get sore. But without food, without any recovery as far as putting stuff back in, man, I was sore. And I was like shocked at how sore I was because yeah, I was just kind of like, something I hadn't experienced since my twenties, you know? So yeah. Yeah. And that, that was it. That was it. That was a long winded answer to what you asked. But, um, you know, I just thought, man, what a better, no better way to just kind of test yourself and get some alone time on the mountain, see what you're capable of. And now I know. So I plan on doing some more of these. I'm going to push it out a little bit longer the next one hours wise. Uh, but I'm going to lessen the exercise. Yes. So you, you also did a water fast, right? Did you also go with that water for a certain time? And, and I'm curious as to which one of those was, was harder. Well, that, how, I would how did call that the water fast. That you was what? the water fast. So I okay. just, so in that time I ended up drinking, I consumed 10 liters of water during that time. Mm-hmm. So I was drinking a lot of water every day. Um, so I no, it wasn't a water fast in that I limited myself on water. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to do that to my body, but it was basically just consuming water for those, that, that 86 hours. And that's what I did. And I, I brought in, a, um, an electrolyte, basically Redmond sea salt that uh, didn't have any calories to it. So, um, yeah. yeah, I guess that's confusing a water fast. It wasn't a fasting of water. It was only mm-hmm. consuming water during the fasting yeah. of food. So yeah, yeah. I, I wondered if you'd tried both, you know, one without food, one without water. And then uh-huh. I was thinking about it if you, if you had, cause I don't know if you know, you probably talked to Brady, but he's under the assumption that he thinks if you kind of starve your body of water, you know, in, in your training that you build up some tolerance to it. So I was curious mm-hmm. as to what mm-hmm. you thought. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm curious about that as well. And, um, because I know I am not the best about drinking water, uh, year round. Mm-hmm. Like there's days where I, I, get to bed at night and I'm like, man, I don't think I drank anything today. Mine is my coffee in the morning and that's not good. Um, but I, you know, maybe I think what Brady is saying is true because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't drink my gallon every day like you're technically supposed to. And, you know, I don't experience dehydration when I'm on the mountain and I can get away with very little, um, up there, you know, it's, um, I will, and yeah, all of us, I'm sure, have days up there where you just either forget you're not thirsty, especially in the late winter months, uh, chasing mule deer. And, um, I don't see any real effects now. Extended effects would probably, I'd probably start to notice some cramping and stuff, but, um, I'm not the best about consuming water all the time. Like, uh, all the ladies around me, my wife, she's, she's religious about it. She definitely gets her water in that she's supposed to every day, but I don't. So I feel like, um, like Brady said, I'm probably always in a bit of a fasted water state because I just don't consume enough. I'm never yeah. fasted on coffee, though. I can tell you that, Trill. I definitely don't skip skimp on the coffee. You know, yeah, my that's... three, four, five, six cups a day of coffee. So 
I guess yeah, I'm still getting some water. Yeah, that's me. Exactly. I was telling my wife the other day, we were driving, my oldest kid had a basketball game and uh, she sent me down to the snack shack to buy a water bottle for her. And I got to thinking as I was walking down there, I'm like, I actually don't remember the last time I drank any water. Like I've drinking <laughs> coffee today all day, you know? Yeah. Exact same thing. I don't remember the last time I just put a cup underneath the tap and fill it up and drank. So I'm, I'm kind of the same, same way. And mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know why that is. I just, I don't really love the taste of it. So I don't know. Maybe I'll have to add some, but I was, I was that's curious. It. Just consider it a uh, part of your training regimen, right? You're just uh, keeping your body adapted for when you get out in the mountains and you don't have much. Yeah, that's it. Now that's interesting. Yeah. I was curious. The soreness is interesting. I didn't, I didn't mm-hmm. anticipate uh, that being the, you know, being the kind of the, you know, the effect. So that's, yeah, yeah, I was, I was pretty shocked too, because, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know about you, but you know, I do take supplements daily. I take a lot of turmeric and I, I'm, I take CBD, you know, Mm -hmm. um, to fight inflammation and just, I want better recovery on these humps. We all push our bodies and, and do some pretty good things up in the mountains and we need that recovery. And, feel like, you know, inflammation is one of those silent killers of your joints that, you know, eventually you're going to have some overuse injuries. And I am super lucky to not have anything like that. I'm injury free. It feels like for the most part, but, um, yeah, I mean, maybe that's a part of it. I, I just don't get sore very often anymore. And, and, you know, cutting down on the sugar helped back in my dumb years with my wife's help. Um, that was a big part of probably not inflaming myself to, to get all the soreness, um, to lose some recovery. But nowadays I take a lot of sups and, and, uh, I do drink electrolytes when I do drink water. Cause I'm like you, I don't really like the taste of just straight water. So, um, the, in the, just the soreness, I think is what was a yeah. eye opener for me. It shocked me like, man, yeah. man, there's this, I remember this from way back decades ago. Yeah, but it'd been a while. So yeah, every I mean, every muscle that I had used, and just the daily hikes, like I said, my my triceps from pushing off of my trekkers and stuff like that, that you just never feel. It was clearly yeah. they were getting worked out. Gotcha. I know uh, you, you get a you get a ton of questions about food, and I'm not gonna. I don't. I don't want you to feel like you have to go super deep. But I just recently got a question. It was pretty simple. The guy just said, "How many calories?" per day do you plan for on a backpack hunt? And I, mm-hmm. I'm not very good at like actually putting, you know, a spreadsheet to it and adding calories up. And I've historically, I've pretty well packed things that I know that I will eat, even though a lot of it's probably not the, you know, the, the most healthy or the best fit. Um, I've got some sugars in there and, but, but a, a calorie count, I don't know. And I was curious to ask you, do you keep track of calories? And if so, do you have a, an idea of like how many you need per day per like on a backpack mm-hmm. hunt? I don't. I'm like you, Trail. Very similar to you. This is something that Brady probably shines at. You know, he is so anal about spreadsheets and he gets everything down to the ounce and probably has his calories and down to macros and micros. It's like he's probably really good at that. Um, personally, I know, you know, and all the, the off season stuff, just just I think is the number of days spent out there. You know, it works for you. I know two pounds of food works for me. And I know the type of food that works for me. So I never count calories. Um, I don't even waste my time with it. I, I don't feel like it's doing me a whole lot. Honestly, um, I try to eat good food and I know in all the off season stuff, what foods work well with me, what foods, you know, keep me uninflamed and, and 
keep me satiated throughout the hunt and what foods don't. And I just stick with that and it's worked really well. Um, now in saying that again, there's some more experimentation going on this year with me. Um, you know, I've always prided myself on trying to eat pretty clean, mm-hmm. used to garden a lot. Um, man grew up with folks that were absolutely nuts about gardening and with the orchards with the fruits and all that kind of stuff. And again, another thing I hit 50, I wanted to do some experimentation, uh, with my body this year. So, uh, I've been trying this animal based thing, uh, for mm-hmm. the last month, a little over a month. And I haven't eaten any vegetables or any fruits or anything other than animal based products for the last four weeks. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I want to, again, I want to see how my body performs. Um, you know, it, I guess you could call it, you know, the lion diet or the carnivore diet or almost keto, but not quite. And so I'm, I'm playing around with that and I've really enjoyed it. So it's, it's yeah. basically, uh, you know, meat, the fish, seafood, eggs. So a lot of bacon, a lot of steaks, uh, a lot of burger and, um, and that's it. And some cheese, you know, the right kind of cheese. But other than that, my, my diet, this past four weeks has been very boring um but i'm trying it i want to see how my strength is my endurance spending a little more time in the weight room downstairs just again i want to see animal base what how does my body react to this you know if i'm out there in the woods and all i'm eating is is animal um Mm -hmm. how am i going to do and so you know i've noticed you know obviously fat with an animal based diet is very important. You got to have, you got to have it for energy. And so I'm trying to keep it about a 60% fat ratio throughout my day. So there's, there's a lot of, um, surprising or not, it it feels wrong to say, but beef, I've introduced beef into my diet, which I've never done in my life. I've eaten more beef in the last month trail than I have in my 50 years on this earth. Um, and that's only because of the fat that comes yeah. with it. And so um, I'm getting some beef from uh, a gentleman that we did a, a Western hunting summit on his property uh, this last year. And he's a cattle rancher and, and they produce some really good grass fed stuff. And so I've been getting some beef from them and uh, whole family's kind of enjoying it. Like we've, yeah. like I said, we've only eaten wild game, lean game meat for my entire life. Mm-hmm. and uh and so we've been doing more beef now i'm still cooking up moose steaks and stuff i'm just adding a lot of ghee or butter to the top and salt and then i'm making burgers with you know pork fat and, and jacking up the fat that way but it's been interesting yeah. man it's it's a it's a unique diet um maybe people think it's a fad and that could be uh, i'm just having fun playing around mm-hmm. at this point in my life and trying new things and you know, I got my wife to start it. My daughter's doing it. And so far, you know, and time will tell, but there's a lot of interesting things that have taken place. Um, you know, brain fog is one that I've dealt with for a while, you know, just like oh, trying to come up with words and just clarity. Right. I was and, just Last night, I'm like, I hope you feel like uh, taking care of me into my older age because I'm losing my mind. Like, I, yeah, I have a neighbor, my my uh, my youngest was at a neighbor kid's house. He's lived there for ever since I've lived there, 13 years. And I was like, what's that kid's name? Like, I could not think of that kid's name. But it's the same thing. Like, just I feel yeah. like brain fog for real is is a real thing. The older I get, 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I was experiencing that too. I was like, I should know this guy's name or I just can't mm-hmm. remember that guy or I can't remember this word. And, and so, you know, I wanted to try to figure out, you know, what is this? And, you know, I've always known again, my, my buddy, Mike, I've talked to him about this and he needs keto a lot, but you know, that's one of the things where an all animal based diet shines like uh, mental clarity and eliminating brain fog and, and it heals the gut you know a lot of people think the opposite when it comes to to eating meat like it damages the gut it couldn't be further from the truth um oxalates from vegetables is probably doing more damage than than just a meat-based diet so you know i i've been doing that and the benefits have been exactly what i was hoping for you know the mental clarity Mm-hmm. Um, I'm waking up refreshed. I'm not snacking all day. One thing you'll find on an animal based diet is you're, again, there's that word satiated. You just, you feel full. Like you almost have to force yourself to eat. Yeah. There's no cravings. Like I don't, you know, I think you hit a wall like two weeks in, um, maybe not a wall, but about two weeks in, you start to like your body adjusts and it's like no more cravings. You know, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not walking through the grocery store looking at all these things that I, could just grab and snack on that's not even in the equation anymore and again i've always eaten clean but carbs are easy um mm-hmm. but carbs make you want to snack more and fruits and veggies and so meat though you eat a good steak with a bunch of ghee on it or lavish slathered in butter and you are full and you are full till probably noon the next day um, yeah. without the carbs um, but again, you know, this is just me talking. I'm still early into this thing that I'm playing with. I'm only a month in, so things may change. But right now, I'm super pumped about it. It's it's working, and um, been getting my my hikes, and my workouts in every every day. And you know, for a little while there, my body was adjusting. I got a little bit weak on the on the weights, and now I'm right back to where I was. And endurance wise, I feel great. And I'm just not bringing all those snacks with me. I'm just doing two big meals a day of just meat and eggs mostly. Gotcha. Do you think that's something that you'll take into the woods, like on your hunts? I'm going to try. I'm going down to Mexico and mm-hmm. it's got a, got a bunch of meat sticks. And um, we're doing like a freeze dried a lot of eggs and things like mm-hmm. that. Just straight eggs and bacon with cheese. So my meals are going to be very boring, but heavy on the salt heavy on the animal based. Um, I'm going to continue this through. So we'll see, you know, it's still in that testing phase, but right now physically, I feel great. Mentally, I feel like better than ever. And, um, I'm going to try to, I don't know, my goal, like I did with that 72 hour was I'm not stopping prior to 72 on the water fast. I'm not going to stop until I hit that 90 day mark on this one. And, and then I'll have a real good kind of grasp on, how this is treating me and what my endurance is. And, and, you know, with my wife, it's, I'm fortunate because she's a doctor. So she gets to take my blood work before and mm-hmm. as I'm doing it and in the end. And so we can monitor that stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of concerns uh, when people talk about animal based, you know, your, your LDLs and your cholesterol and no fiber and all these possible myths out there. We'll see. Um, and maybe not, you know, we're going to yeah. monitor it closely and see how my body does on it. Yeah, I know we we uh, we had Jay Scott in the office here maybe a month, three weeks ago, so I guess. 
and he's been doing, I don't know how long he's been doing it, but he's been basically doing the same thing. And, yeah. you know, talking to him, I couldn't believe, like, I bet he's lost 20 some pounds. And, and I'd yeah. asked him, I said, you know, what are you, what are you doing in conjunction with it? Are you working out pretty hard? And he's like, no, not really. Not, nothing, yeah. you know, nothing abnormal. He's not, not really working out. He's like, it just, just a diet change was, has been so significant yeah. for him. He lost a lot of extra weight that he thought he needed to lose and he looks great. Um, yeah, I think there's two things that um, contribute to guys losing weight quickly, um, but not in a harmful way. Number mm -hmm. one, when you're on a animal base, you're not eating sugar. Um, yeah. Sugar is poison, right? Sugar is the devil. And um, we all know that, but we all, you know, push the limit sometimes. And uh, yeah, so there's that. And, you know, I just think, I don't know, if you're cutting out sugar and also if you do the two meals a day thing, you're getting a natural 16 hour fast, basically, you know, you try to keep your, your feeding window to like six, eight hours, you know, maybe you don't have your first meal till 10 or 12 in the morning. And then your last one, you know, at six or, or you know, four. Uh, so you're doing this and your body is in the state of ketosis. So you just start burning your fat. You start burning fat for your fuel and you combo exercise with this diet. And you just drop weight. And the only yeah. way to prevent yourself from dropping weight, if that's really not a goal, is to eat more, mm -hmm. more protein, more meat. So, you know, I know guys that don't lose any weight because they are gorging themselves on, on protein and they're eating mega, you know, pounds of meat every with every meal. And then there's guys that as soon as they feel full, they stop and, and they don't take another bite. And you will drop weight for sure. You'll lose all that fat that you probably didn't want in the first place. Yeah, probably didn't need. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. it. But uh, that's saying it. all this, like again, like I'm not preaching. This is the gospel. This is just a. This is just a thing I'm trying. Um, it's yeah. a test. It's a challenge, and we'll see where it takes me. But we'll see. No, I think it's. I think it's great. I think. Uh, yeah, you. I don't know. I think, I think my early, you know, my twenties, my thirties, I wasn't really exploring with much of anything, you know, Yeah. you start to see, you know, I'm 44, uh, just turned 44, you know, you just turned 50, you, you get to kind of that stage in your life and you start thinking about some of th these things, you know, yeah. you start thinking more about how your diet affects you and your exercise. And you start thinking like, how long can I do this thing that I love and mm -hmm. how, how can I, you know, prolong it? So I think you it's, it's good. It. That's that's the big motivation behind most of this. Um, yeah. You hit 50 and you start thinking, you know, I know a lot of gentlemen, my dad included, that got into his late 50s and, and early 60s. And all of a sudden, like, there is no motivation. There's no go-go anymore. The tank mm -hmm. is empty. Like, there's no drive to go into a wilderness anymore. Um, there's no motor to keep pushing yourself. And so I don't want to be there, man. I can't even... It bums me out to think I only have maybe 10 years left of this thing that we all love. 10 yeah. years? Like, dang. I know. That's depressing. So, um, man, I want I want at least 20 more years. I, and mm -hmm. I'd love to be able to do this uh, thing that we do, the backcountry stuff, and just pushing your body and, and all that, you know, into my 70s. I love, and I know there's guys that do it. Mm -hmm. So, why, why not us? Like, why not guys like us who really love it? Um, yeah. I think I want to be ahead of the game and I don't want to hit an injury that sets me back and, and knocks me out of it. So I just want to be a little bit more proactive. And, you know, I, I've always, I'm not saying that like I've abused my body or, I've, you know, 
cheated on my diet and stuff like that in the past, I've done pretty well. But I want to know if there's a better approach um, and a way that's going to keep me more fit on the mountain and, and sharper. And, and I just don't want an overuse injury, a knee injury or something that knocks you out for a while. And, yeah. you know, at this age, it's hard to get it back. So trying sure. to prevent that is, is all this is. Yeah, I had a real epiphany. I, I killed a bull uh, in Colorado this year, and it was probably eight and a half, nine miles as the crow flies from my truck from, you know, when it went down. And uh, I had a couple of guys that had gone in with me and, you know, the situation was as such that the bulls were still screaming. Those guys both had tags. So I just basically said, you know, help me bone this thing out, get it in bags, and then I can shuttle it out, you know, on my own. You guys go go chase elk. So if you guys tag out, then we'll all, you know, gang up and we'll pack elk for, you know four or five days. But, um, yeah, I, I had an epiphany. I ended up packing that bull out by myself while those guys were hunting, but I, I had this epiphany as I was hiking out. I was like, how, how many more years can I do this? You know, how many more years can I throw 80 pounds, 90 pounds on my back and, and cover, you know, nine miles, 18 miles in a day and, and do that. And I got to thinking about it, man, it's just like, it could click by so fast. So yeah, yeah, father time comes for you pretty quick and you get into yep. that age and I, I agree. I think it's it's good to start exploring ideas and options of, of how you can potentially prolong that. So I, I'm here yeah. for it. Yeah, man, I, I couldn't agree more. I uh and the next the next uh step for me is is pack animals. You know, I've always mm-hmm. I've always used pack animals. Um llamas, I've used them. Jeez, I was using we were using pack animals thirty years ago. You know, my uncle was ahead of his time with the llama thing. And he used llamas way back when, uh, we picked up our first four. It was literally, it would have been 34 years ago. I was a teenager. I couldn't even drive yet. And we grabbed our first four down in Pocatello, Idaho. And, uh, and he used them for years and we used them for years in North Idaho. Um, and you know, there's pluses and minuses. Llamas weren't nearly what they are today. They're just almost a different animal when it comes to packing. But, you know, um, I've gone to goats, you know, this year I introduced goats into my hunts and, um, I see a huge potential for a lot of trips coming up, um, with these goats, uh, I'm building next year's hunts, mostly around trips where I'll take the goats and hmm. it's just been fun. And, and I'm looking forward to, you know, these next 10, hopefully 20 years of hunting with the goats because they do take a lot of that weight off your off your knees yeah. and back and and they're just fun man and they're affordable that's the best part about goats um yeah. they do a lot of work for you and they pack water up on top of the hill that you don't want to pack right. and they pack a lot of weight coming out and they're affordable there's something yeah. that most of us can afford um you know there's there's expenses no doubt about it building the shelter and fences and stuff like that but overall um llama versus goat affordability you may be spending seven to ten k on a llama you may spend 200 to max maybe 800 a thousand to be very very high end for a good goat Hmm. so that that's what got me on the goat thing and that's where i'm at and so far it's been a blast been digging it gotcha i gotta look i gotta look into it i know that was that was the second part of that same 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 epiphany i gotta i gotta figure something out to to help pack yeah help pack because i don't know yeah yeah it's and you hunt with people um you know i'm I'm starting to do more hunts with my my daughter Mm -hmm. and uh man girls pack more stuff than we do (laughs) 
trail. They just yeah. do. Um, it's like, there's a lot of extra things. There's hairbrushes and books and things like that, that I don't typically pack. And I want to do more of those type trips. And I also want to make these camps more comfortable than what I'm willing to sacrifice. You know, um, we can get by you and I could get by with very little, but I don't know if that's going to keep my daughter, her head in the game is just kind of suffering through a hunt. So yeah, now I'm packing cots and a little bit bigger stove and a little bit extra food and stuff like that. Just a few more amenities and comforts for what I hope is, you know, another decade of, of being able to take my daughter and daughters into the mountains. So that was a big contributing factor to this is uh, just that I want to be able to, you know, show these girls a really good time on these hunts and um, mm -hmm. goats are allowing me to do that. How, how many goats do you have? Curious. I got eight goats right now. Yeah, okay. I got eight. I've got two that aren't quite pack ready. Um, they're almost two years old. So by the end of next season, you know, I'll be putting a little bit of weight on them. Um, mm -hmm. But my other six, they're great. They're, they're seasoned. Um, they're going on year five right now. And uh, they're already packing great. And, you know, another thing that it forces you to do is daily walks or hikes. You know, you got to keep your goats in shape like you got to keep yourself in shape. So that's the reason I got a dog. Same, same yeah. thing. Yeah, you got to keep your dog in shape. Yeah, yep. two, two times a day, it's got to go for a run or a walk. And so holds you accountable, right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the same thing with goats. Goats don't need a ton of exercise, but um at a minimum you want to be getting them out at least on one good to two to three good hikes a week um during the winter you know maybe just one mm -hmm. um but we'll go out and knock out five miles and they'll just you know hike behind me and then i pick up the pace and try to get them moving you know at a, at a jog at times but um no mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot of fun and they, they just follow you around like dogs and they're mm -hmm. just so easy so yeah how much, how much weight can one of those pack so um like my goats right now, like we came out on a mule deer hunt this season. Uh, we were hauling a few deer out, um, a few mule deer bucks. And each one of the goats was packing about 50 pounds. Uh, one was more pushing closer to 60 pounds. But he was my biggest goat. Um, my goats range from 170 pounds on my very smallest one, little Mo, to about 220 pounds on my biggest. And so, um, you know... They say 50 pounds is kind of what you hope for if they're in good shape. And, uh, and you know, there's goats out there that are far beyond um, the weight of mine. There's goats that are pushing 300 pounds, big old alpines that guys will throw 60, 70 pounds on with ease. Um, hmm. But, you know, I think, what is it, 25% or whatever, you know, you kind of want to stick with that. And, but it all depends on how good a shape they are. Yeah. And so, you know, 50 is about the limit for me, you know, going in. I try to keep them at about 35, 40 pounds. Um, you know, they're the ones that are packing the water now into these places where there's very little. So, you know, mm -hmm. you can, you can haul in, um, gosh, I want to say that mule deer hunt. I think we hauled in 40 liters, 40 or 50 mm -hmm. liters on that one. Um, just for us, you know, drinking water and, and that really helped it, it allowed us to stay where we wanted to stay. But yeah, it's surprising how much they'll pack. And the coolest yeah. thing about it, and, and one of the hunts that I'm looking forward to the most this next year, some of the spring bear hunts that we go into, mm -hmm. you know, you've got some of the most epic terrain, you know, rock faces and 
real steep, nasty stuff. And dude, that is easy for goats. So easy for right. goats. They go where you go. Um, llamas, not necessarily the case. Llamas are great on trails. They got a good pace. They can carry way more weight than a goat. Um, but you are, you have some limitations with llamas on where you take them. Dude, mm -hmm. goats enjoy bouncing around in the rocks and hopping over deadfalls. Um, you're like, they almost, it seems as if they enjoy it. So there's a lot of places you can take a goat that I wouldn't take a llama. And so again, I'm looking forward to some spring bear hunts and just some nasty craggy stuff where I'll take the goats with me on these yeah. rifle, rifle spring bear hunts. And it'll be great, yeah. you know? And, um, you know, I think, uh, when I got into the goat thing, my biggest worry was how many goats am I going to lose to predators over time? That's, you know, because I was wondering is, is what do you do with them when you get in there? Do you, I mean, are you staking them out? I mean, you carrying feed for them or how does that work? No. So two of the pros, you've got pros and cons with goats and llamas. Um, two of the pros for goats is you don't pack feed. They eat whatever's there. So mm -hmm. they, they literally will eat what's up there. Um, and they're really easy on that respect. So you're not packing pellets. You're not dedicating, like with a llama, you dedicate a llama to packing a bucket or two of pellets. Yep. Goats, you don't pack any food. And they just follow you. So you don't stake them, uh, except what I do, I'm staking them at night. You know, I'm just making sure, you know, if a cat comes into camp or a bear comes into camp, that they just don't boogie. And I don't, I'm not there to protect them at that point. So I'm staking them around the TP at night um, close to it and I'll put bells on them, um, at night just to hear the jingle of something's getting them razzed up. And, uh, and that's worked. Um, you know, you don't, as, as worried, as worried as I was, there's not a lot of stories out there from guys losing goats to predators while they're hunting. Right. You know, you'll lose them in your pen if you're, you know, back at uh, your ranch or the field they're in to coyotes and things like that. But dogs, dogs is one that take down goats more than anything, probably. Yeah. Um, goats aren't great. They're good at, you know, being a-holes to each other and like knocking each other around. But they're not great at defending themselves against predators. Um, hmm. They run the other way and they'll get hamstrung pretty fast, yeah, I'm okay. sure. But um, yeah, they follow you around. And so the only time I would say I'm going to high line them or low line them is on a bow hunt um you'd want to keep them back and, and move in but these rifle hunts man um we we had them on a on a hunt this year where you know we never planned on low lining them um kind of wanted to see how these mule deer reacted to them and honestly it was like a decoy it was almost like a tactic that that mm -hmm. was more way more of a benefit than a hindrance because you know how you're a mule deer guy, you kind of slow down as you get to the top of a mountain to crest over to get, start getting glass over the top. You know, you're peering in, you don't want to skyline yourself. Well, that ain't going to happen with goats. They're going to get to that last 10 feet. You're going to slow down. They're going to rush you. They're going to get to the top and look in. They're going. Um, the question is, is that good or bad? Well, so far it's been good because hmm. every animal in that basin they might alert for a few seconds, but they look up on that crest and they're like four legged animals, no big deal. Hmm. And they just go right back, right back to their bed. If they popped up when they first saw you or first saw the goats, um, or they go right back to feeding. And now you got all the time in the world. Like 
you get up, you get your bipod out, you get prone. Um, it's crazy what they'll give you when they see it as a non-threat. They see it as just a four-legged group of sheep or whatever or deer. And then you can poke your head up amongst your group of six mm-hmm. goats and, and get your shot. So um, Interesting. it almost feels like you're cheating because uh, <laughs> skylining isn't really a thing when you have four-legged animals getting up there and, and doing it for you. So. I might have to get some goats, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll see on the archery stuff. That's going to be a yeah. whole different animal. But. Yeah. I, uh, I wanted to maybe switch gears a little bit just based off something you just said. Uh, you said you're looking forward to spring bear. Um, I know that we're, we're kind of in that time for him where like yesterday I spent at least, you know, half my day working on uh, application strategy articles for New Mexico and we're kind of headlong into application season. So I was curious as to how, and you probably get a bunch of questions to this regard. I know that I do. Um, seems like I've been getting a lot of DMS lately, but just how do you, uh, how do you approach, um, you know, application season and how do you approach, you know, laying out a hunting season for for yourself and, and how do you, I mean, do you play the game of like applying in the various States and like, what kind of research are you doing right now in order to, you know, potentially go on hunts in the fall? Yeah, no, I feel like I'm, like a lot of folks, you know, right now is the season I spend too much time on insider looking at just opportunity hunts, looking at hunts that I'd love to do in my future, looking at the States where, you know, I'm just building points and hoping for a miraculous thing to happen. And I get drawn, you know, there's several States that I treat as such. And then there's States like my home state here, where it's just an opportunity over the counter hunt every year. And I Mm -hmm. don't expect anything more. So, um, you know, my strategy is I just that I, I like to, I like to build out my calendar ahead of time, mostly with tags. I know I'm going to have, mm-hmm. and then I shoot for the stars on some, some States, you know, the Arizonas and the Utahs and the New Mexico's and things like that. But I'm always looking, you know, I, you always have to go through and look at the odds and I go through mm-hmm. filtering and, and just looking at my, at my opportunity to draw something like these hunts that I'm never going to expect to draw, but someday, who knows, maybe I'll, you know, I'll get some, some love from some of these States. It's, uh, it's not often that I get drawn for much, but, um, I might, I'm definitely playing the game like a lot of guys mm-hmm. are. So that's just it. I'm looking at areas that maybe I've driven by, or maybe I've heard something from somebody. And so I get on there and I, you know, I, I go do the research. I look at my opportunity to draw it and, whether it's even a reality or, or not. And, and, um, that's kind of what, that's this time of year. That's what we do this time of year is, is, uh, get on and do all the application stuff. And then, you know, uh, hunts that I, I never really rely on drawing anything. It's just a lot of opportunity things. Yeah. My home state, um, Alaska, Idaho, places that I can, you know, get a tag. And so, um, Maybe Idaho's not that way anymore, uh, unless you play the game right. But unless you drive yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Got lucky this year and got my tags, but uh, gosh, you can't count on that anymore. That's for sure. So mm-hmm. not like it was. Things are changing. I was curious. Do you do you try to pick species that you want to hunt every year? And you kind of work that route, or do you? Mm-hmm. I mean, do you look at? Uh, I mean, I think back like there's there's been years when there's been, you know, something on my 
kind of on my calendar, on my brain, I guess something that I really want to do, like an Alaskan moose hunt or a caribou hunt that we did a few years ago. And then I, I kind of make that my primary hunt for the year. And then if I can fill in around the edges, um, you know, then I, then I do so. But do you look at it from that, that standpoint, yeah. do you try to plan for species or? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, good question. Like when I'm looking at the calendar, there's hunts that I know I'm going to do. I'm going to pen those in on the calendar. Mm -hmm. And then that's another huge reason why you got to go do some research. You don't want to apply for something. You know, I'm going to Alaska this year. I've got the mm -hmm. dates carved out for Alaska this year. So if you don't go do your, you know, your homework and and look at the seasons and how they're broken down and, and your possibility of drawing it, you may double down now, possibly. I'm not going to put myself in line to draw a Utah elk tag that, that, that like, kicks me out of my Alaska moose hunt, right? As much as I love a Utah elk tag, I'm still not going to align that with interfering with my Alaska moose hunt. So, yeah, there's hunts that I absolutely know I'm going to do with my daughter. I'm definitely going through the research and making sure that I don't apply for something that could interfere with those dates. Mm -hmm. And so it gets tricky. You know, sometimes you, some years you apply for archery tags, some years you want to put in for a muzzleloader tag or a rifle tag even, um, that could still be in a great unit, but it doesn't interfere with the tags over-the-counter tags that I 100% know I'm going to go on. So you right. do have to think these things out. Um, I don't want to make any mistakes and compromise an Alaska moose for something else, for sure. <laughs> yeah, even Utah elk, even Utah elk. There with you. Now, you live in a great elk state, so it's hard to – I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's a, little bit, a little bit easier to stomach, I guess, that if you don't draw Utah elk tag because you, you've still got great hunting in your backyard, essentially. And, yeah, and that's tag. a good point. You know, I think for a lot of people, um, you know, have an opportunity to go chase a monster bull elk. Uh, if I didn't live here and if I wasn't a resident of Montana, that gives me basically six weeks of archery time, you know. Um mm -hmm maybe I would cancel that moose hunt, which is a hunt that you can do every year and, right. and opt in for a, you know, a Utah elk tag or something like that, or a really hard to get elk tag. But it's because I live in Montana that I can chase good bulls every year. And so I'm not mm -hmm. going to cry too much. If I don't draw an elk tag out of state, I still know I'm going to get an elk tag here. And so I have opportunities to chase them, but yeah. it's not the case for everybody. So yeah, that's a good mm -hmm. point. Yeah, recently somebody asked me, and we kind of explored it a little bit with Jay Scott, and I was curious because I think I think you're kind of at this this stage in in hunting. You know, you've been hunting for long enough. I think, at least to me, um, you know, just a third party observing, it feels like you've hit a stage in your your hunting, you know, quote unquote career. But um, you know, where you're trying to target an older age class animal, yeah. and you know, I you, you killed a great bull. I think you killed. In fact, I was with. Say, say hi to Kyam for me if you see him. But, um, you know, Kyam was hunting in Utah with me a couple, it's been two years ago, I guess, not last, not last year, but the year before, but he was filming for me and he, you know, he films for you. But um, mm -hmm. I remember hunting with him and he got an in reach. He's like, oh man, Ryan, Ryan killed a great bull, you know, like a, you know, 340 <laughs> bull. And I think yeah. I was, I was like eight days deep and just, you know, struggling, just kicking, <laughs> just kicking my own ass the whole time, just going, man, this thing is never going to happen, you know? And then, you know, he gets this text message, man, Ryan killed the 340 bull last night, you know, he hunted three days or whatever. Yeah, it was a short one. <laughs> yeah, short one. Right. And you, you killed a great bull this year, but I was curious is, and I'm always interested in this, mostly from a, a personal level. Um, it, it, how do you, how do you turn up an animal like that? 
like you, you live in an opportunity type of state. I assume I'm guessing that you were probably hunting an opportunity type of tag. I don't know, you know, if it was a yeah. general season tag or a draw tag, but um, I think you've pretty consistently killed really good animals, um, you know, on opportunity type of hunts. And I was curious as to, you know, how you look at that. How are you, how are you doing that? Like, how are you turning up those animals? Yeah. Um, yeah, mostly it is. It's just general tags here in, in Montana. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I almost cringe if I was to draw something because it takes me away from just the general stuff that gives you right. a lot of different units to go, to go hunt. But you know, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know. You know, it, it's, um, I don't do, I definitely don't do as much scouting as I used to in my earlier mm-hmm. days. You know, I used to, gosh, I was putting trail cams on the mountain and looking for, you know, big mule deer bucks. And I was always like surprised when I had one on my camera in the places I was throwing these things, just looking for an old crusty, Um, and I definitely used to do a lot more scouting for elk, but, you know, I don't have time anymore. Um, you know, I, my summers, I'm trying to get as much family time in as possible. And, um, so I don't burn up my days in the summer so I can have those days in the fall. But, uh, you know, I think it's just the old playbook of going where people aren't and having the, the drive and the gas in the tank to go as far and, wherever you need to get to and do whatever it takes to, to find that animal. Um, you know, and, and always be, always be scouting, um, not necessarily before a hunt, but during, Mm -hmm. you know, there's places where, you know, I'll go into and yeah, the elk aren't here this year, but, um, I'm going to come probably come back and look at that area next year because there were some big rubs and maybe it was just a fluky thing and they moved over a basin and, um, you know, always scouting in your hunts. And, uh, one of the things that I try to do is I, I scout in season and I scout after season a lot. Mm. Uh, like we talked about in that fast, I'm always trying to extend my year out into the winter to see what animals didn't get taken or see what animals come down into that winter range. And, um, that might get overlooked a little bit. You know, I, mm-hmm. I just want to know what's po- possible for the next year. And that also plays into, whether I want to draw or even apply for this unit. Um, you can go look at some units out there that I don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. So before I apply, I want to go in and look at the winter range and I want to see what kind of potential these areas have. And um, I love scouting after the season. I absolutely mm-hmm. love it when that weather's pushed animals down into the low country and especially for mule deer. But when it comes to elk, um, you know, I, big part of it is I live in a good elk state, you know, it's just, I'm blessed to live in a good elk state and there are mature bulls out there, um, waiting to be found. And, and so that has a lot to do with it. And, and I just, I hate talking about myself like that, but I just have a drive. I just push myself, you know, like you Mm -hmm. and Brady do, you know, you don't give up. And, you know, I remember that hunt that you were talking about with Kaim and, Mm -hmm. you know, he was, he was super pumped to how that, how that whole thing went. He said it was, it was tough and it's a mm-hmm. tough go, but, um, you know, in the end, you know, it worked. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and he needed to see that, you know, Kyle's a young guy and he hasn't had a ton of Western hunting experience yet, but I'm glad he got to see like the struggle that it took for, for it to finally come together. Um, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think, I think just having that attitude going in and never saying quit, uh, having that gas in the tank and just 
it always comes back to doing whatever it takes, you know, obviously yeah. legally, but doing whatever it takes to get the job done. And yeah. um, if you're not physically ready, mentally ready, if you're, if your issues aren't dealt with at home, uh, if your wife ain't happy, all those type of things, as simple as that sounds, um, those will stop you from getting big bulls and spending more time out there when you need to be out there. Yeah, they'll, they'll definitely eat at you. You can, you can, you can easily talk yourself into, you know, bailing on a hunt if, if you've yeah. left things unsettled. Uh, it's easy all. before the season to just say, I'm going to do whatever it takes. But it's also real easy about three, four days into a hunt to say, this weather sucks, I'm out of here, or there's too many guys, or the elk aren't talking. And um, Man, you got to be able to push through that. Um, somebody's killing an elk somewhere that day uh, in the same conditions. So you just got to be able to, you know, as cliche as it sounds, stay positive and just keep pushing. And I think there's a lot of younger folks that would quit. You know, when you were experiencing, you know, on day eight or whatever, like things just aren't happening. Um, but you've done this enough trail that you know how elk hunting goes, especially things can turn on an absolute dime. And three mm -hmm. minutes after you're telling yourself that you just arrowed a great bull and he's down and, yeah. you know, that one decided to play and, and um, race right in. So it can happen just so fast. I, uh, I like what you said about uh, scouting late season. And, and using that because I as I think that through probably some of the best hunters that I know are guys that are, are shed hunters mm -hmm. and you know, shed shed hunters get there's kind of this you know bad name thing going on with you know guys that are out bumping animals or whatever but you know sure. the, the guys that I know that are that, that do spend a lot of time on winter range and they spend a lot of time out you know beating the brush looking for shed antlers I think those guys if, as I think about it, a lot of those guys are really phenomenal hunters come hunting season because they, they have a full picture of that animal. They start to put the, the pieces together where that animal might potentially summer based on where they saw that animal on winter range. You know, mm -hmm. so they really start to put the, the puzzle pieces together. The other the other thing I was curious, I mean, you, you killed a great bull. You have done, you know, several, but, you know, the last couple of years in Montana, and that's typically what I tell people is, you know, they'll ask me, how do you kill a big buck or a big bull? Well, I think you start with, um, you know, the areas that are, are close to home and the, the more time yeah. that you can put in uh, just, you know, the area close to home. And if you lived in the Midwest or you live in the East Coast and you're coming out West, you know, pick the state that's closest to you with the best opportunity, you know, and get out there. Maybe it's only a weekend in the summer, but, you know, you start to put, um, you know, year after year, you get those compounding effects of like figuring out an area. Um, so it's, I agree with you, I guess is what I'm saying, but I, I do love the fact that the, kind of that tip of, uh, late season scouting, because I think you can see yeah. a lot of animals that you don't normally see. Well, let me take a look at where we're at on the mule deer front right now. Right. I mean, yeah. mule deer struggling mm -hmm. across the West variety of reasons, um, from the drought we experienced a couple of years ago to the winter we had, you know, um, things, things have been tough. So. You know, one thing I did this year, and I'll just hate throwing names at states, but Idaho, you know, I spent a lot of time before the whole game of us going to get our tags this year um, out there scouting mm -hmm. the week before December 1st. You know, I was in the mountains looking for looking at units that I'd never hunted before and looking if it was a tag that I wanted to get uh, as a general. If I had the opportunity to get it, is it even worth getting it? And so. Um, it's another thing I did with my goats is I spent a lot of time up there and scouting, you know, after all hunting seasons are closed for the most part in Idaho, 
mm-hmm. looking at these areas that um, they're winter ranges. You know, I get at least that tells me like, hey, if I get if I'm able to get this tag, I'm, I'm there's an opportunity here. Like, I got a pretty dang good chance at uh, at filling my tag on a good buck. And you know, I found some mature bucks in a unit that I'd never hunted. And that's the tag that I went for, and that's the tag that I got. And um, man, I couldn't be more pumped about going back and hunting that yeah. next year. It's a new area, but I do know now that uh, this isn't a dead zone. This definitely has an animal or two that that are worth putting the time in. So mm-hmm. um, that's just one thing that uh, after the season is over, it's fun yeah. going out and seeing what was missed by folks. Yeah. Before before you showed up to look at those units, maybe you had a handful of units that you you had an opportunity to go prior to that December first, you know, over the counter sale deadline. Um, how did you pick those areas? Were you, you are you looking at maps? Are you looking at insider profiles? Are you reading forums? Like, what are you doing? Yep, there's a little bit of everything. You know, um, thinking about areas that were adjacent to where I've hunted in the past, units that mm-hmm. I've hunted in the past semi-similar country to what I've hunted in the past. And then, yeah, I'm going on Insider. I'm looking at the trophy potential and and uh, looking at the success rates and how many people are going in, stuff like that. And it's it's just all these little pieces come together and, and it just kind of builds this picture of, is this a unit that I even want to put any time in? Do I even want to put a day in here? Mm-hmm. Or is it not? Does it not have the potential for what I'm, I'm looking for? And, and that's a mature, you know, animal. And, um, so mapping, you know, finding units that animals can just grow old and die there and not have a whole lot of people see them. That's always first and foremost. Um, there's some great places in Idaho that guys kill giant bucks. And the same thing was true in Washington back in the day. But there's road systems and there's just um, traffic and you're you're looking at a buck and somebody else is probably looking at the same buck and that right there is like i'm i'm out on that one i just don't want to play that game i'd rather take a less mature animal than be uh, frustrated with people so um when i'm doing my map research i'm looking for the the roadless and i know everybody does but um still it's it's out there to be found and there's hidey holes all over the place that don't get looked at so map work is real important Gotcha. Um, I wanted to ask you, so you, you and this is, it's going to be kind of tailored towards some of the new hunters, but I, you do the Western, you do these Western hunting summits, right? Where you have people mm-hmm. come out and you do a weekend camp and, uh, I, you, you guys run through a bunch of different skills and, and kind of almost mentor, right? Teach people to hunt. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was curious of those, like how many of those do you think are, you know, maybe no hunting experience to maybe like three or five years. And I was curious as to, I would assume that you probably get a fair number of those types of individuals that are, you know, that adult onset, I guess mm-hmm. is what we're labeling at this point. But I was curious as to like, what, what common questions, like what's the highest hurdle for those types of individuals? Do you think? Where to go? I mean, they're mm-hmm. looking for areas to look at like where, and then not necessarily like, Hey, tell me where to hunt but they're mm-hmm. looking at like what what should they be looking for when they're looking for an elk unit or an elk area or a drainage and um you know i feel like i've got leaps and bounds of an advantage at these summits because my answer to them is talk to mark Livesey. he will <laughs> show you exactly you know with his e-scouting knowledge he is a whiz with with all that um 
he's the technology king in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think, you know, at these events, we get a lot of, you know, an old onset guys or young guys right out of school that have kind of recognized this thing they want to do in life. Maybe they've never done it. They were raised by someone, maybe a single mother, whatever. They didn't have an uncle, a grandfather, a father to teach them how to do it. But something in their brain is saying, this is what I should be doing. This makes sense to me. This is what, where we came from. This is what I want to do. We get a lot of those guys. And so they're very brand new and we get to kind of walk them through and answer all their questions. And some of them are very elementary in, in nature. And then, you know, down to just every piece of gear that they need to pick up when they can, uh, anticipating their first hunt. But then we also get the other guys. We get the guys that have done this for years. And mm -hmm. those guys are there more for the uh, camaraderie, like just an experience, um, the challenge of it, the friendships made, the community of it. And um, I know that because we've got guys that have literally been to six or seven of them. Um, mm -hmm. And they keep coming. <laughs> they just keep showing up at these events. And it's great. They're like the veterans of the summits. But then every year we get, you know, new people that are um, just learning. And the advantage of having like that wider range of group, that wide range of people is, you know, even some of the, the summit guys that we've had in the past, they're able to also teach, you know, when it comes to shooting your bow, for example. You know, we have Joel Turner out mm -hmm. and we have a bunch of different guys out to uh, try to get people better on their shooting. And, um, you know, Joel might be working with, uh, with a handful of guys and, and he's a little crowded over there. So sometimes I'll notice like, man, these guys have seen Joel and they've heard Joel and Joel has taught them how to shoot better and made them better in all things shooting. And, and they're teaching the younger guys. These are attendees of the event. So yeah, it's just a wider range, a wide range of folks. And I think, uh, the community of it is a big part of why people come to these things. And a lot of hunting buddies have been found connecting with others that are like-minded that show mm -hmm. up. I can't even tell you how many people I should get a count at some point, like how many, how many hunting partnerships have come from these events? Because the reason being is there's people that have the same questions and they have the same wants and they, they want the same hunting career, or this future in hunting. And, uh, so they come together and they, they figure it out together and, um, we're just there to answer all their questions and try to put them on the right path. Gotcha. Yeah. I was, I was curious cause I think I was curious to answer that for one reason. Cause I think it's probably the most common question that we get to is just, you know, where to go, how to, where how to, to get start. A, yeah. And, and, and really how to, you know, how to, how to find a spot to find, find animals and, and, yeah. and how to get a permit. Um, so it's, 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 it's the DMs that I get all the time. I'm sure you get those as well, mm -hmm. but yeah. 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 People are so, um, yeah, you put a map in front of somebody who hasn't spent a lot of time hunting or time in the woods and you know, it's, it's just a bunch of lines, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's it doesn't tell them anything. It doesn't tell them where the elk are. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of experience that you have to come, come up with, or there's a lot of, um, you know, yeah, I'd say, I'd say experience from others that can push it forward and, and, mm -hmm. and really like short track them to, to figuring out how to read a map and, 
Um, man, elk are easy. I don't know. I think elk are easy when it comes to looking at a map and finding out where they're probably going to be. Now, they're not always going to be there, but they probably were there at some point. Mule deer aren't nearly as easy to look at a map, in my opinion, to figure out where they're going to be. But there's some features that when it comes to elk hunting that we pretty much know there's probably going to be elk there. It's pretty hit and miss. Not 100%, but there's a lot of features that elk like, and traditionally they always have. And so you can look at a map and, and really put people onto elk for the most part, which is just by looking at a map and looking for these key features. So um, yeah. it's important to know how to read it. What are you, what are you looking for? I'm curious. And do you, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm just, uh, I'm thinking, are there, are there tools within like your go hunt maps that you're using? Like yeah. slope elevation. Do you use that? Absolutely. Yeah. We're looking at all that. We're looking at the faces. We're looking at the pitch of the North slopes. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking for the water and we're looking for the feed zones. Um, we're looking at all of it. And when it comes to elk, you put three or four features together in a state like Montana, you're probably going to be in the zone for the most part. You know, um, there's no mystery that, uh, you know, a lot of people don't even, don't even think about little benches on a North face. Like that mm-hmm. may be a potential bedding area, you know, but generally it is like, you're not going to find elk um on this high degree pitch bedded down for the day generally they're going to be on a ridge they're going to be on a little flat spot on the map they're going to be on that little bench that's got a little bit more or less of a pitch to it um you know and there's there's certain basins you don't you don't typically go look in basins that are just like straight down on both sides and dump into a you know a a fast raging creek in the bottom you're going to want that that drainage that you know, spans out a little bit more like the, you know, the flat end of the spoon. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, there's some of those things that are just obvious features, but, um, and then water, they'll have to have it. Yeah. They're not like a mule deer. They're not tougher like a mule deer, you know, mule deer (laughs) can go without it, but elk need it. (laughs) No no doubt which one you prefer, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, me and Uh, Brady both. That's it. No, I love, I love, I've been, been giving Brady a bad time because I've got he's been building up elk points across the state. I've been burning elk points, and then now I've I've been building deer points. So I've got deer points built mm. up. And then, you know, I live in Utah, so um, you know, general season opportunities are much more readily available to me. So like I can hunt close to home, and you know, I can hunt yeah. big bucks if I have time to scout in the summer. So I've been giving him a hard time. I'm like, I think you and I are just good. Good. I need to give him more of a hard time because you know he's built himself up as this great mule deer hunter, but. He's That's got it. so many dang elk points and everywhere. He's going to be an elk hunter. He's going to have to kick these mule deer to the back burner for a few years, I think. So they come to the curve, Amy. Yeah, <laughs> he'll have to live vicariously through us. That's what he'll have yeah. to do. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've had you for an hour and fifteen. I wanted to ask you if you got a time, just a couple more minutes. I just wanted to ask you some gear mm-hmm. questions. If you got mm-hmm. a sec, sure. Um, so this is gonna. It's the sixteenth today. I was curious. Uh, tomorrow we got a release from Peaks. Yeah. Um, I was curious if you wanted to, if you had the ability or, or if you wanted to talk a little bit about what they're releasing tomorrow and what you're, yeah, what you're absolutely. Yeah. It's a big drop for those guys over there. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the big sleeping bag, right? Um, yeah. the Solus, the 15, um, I think people are really, really, really going to enjoy this bag. You know, I've been real fortunate to be a big part of the, the building of the bag, uh, that process and, <clears throat> and dealing with all the protos and, and the testing phase for the last couple of years. And it's just been fun to figure out all these little features that we've wanted in a bag forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
they made it happen. So um, I've been using this bag, like I said, for two years, about the last year in its final version, just making sure everything is good and um, we don't have any flaws with it. But no, it's got it's got some really cool features that I think guys are going to really dig. Um, I think it's built out almost to perfection. Uh, honestly, there's some there's some things out there that um, other bags I'm I've always been surprised didn't have. Mm-hmm. You know, like for example, a toe box that doesn't have a waterproof exterior to it, right? Yep. I mean, for guys that have spent countless days in a high humidity teepee tent or any tent for that matter where you've got moisture built up and you're six feet tall and your feet are inevitably touching the end of the tent. What happens like you're going to, you're going to start and flat out on, um, on the bottom where your feet are feet mm-hmm. get cold. So yeah, we were able to figure out a good waterproof, um, exterior there. So no more issues. You're going to have that thing jammed up against the, you could have it slip outside and get rained on all night and your feet are going to stay dry and you're not going to lose that loft. So mm-hmm. that's just one of the features. Um, but it's things like that, that we've built into it that I think people are going to dig it. Gotcha. Yeah. It's got a center zip, which is kind of handy. Center I, like, zip. I like that. It's a lot easier in and out. Um, yep. if, center if zip like- is a big one. I love it. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, figured out a way to not have that zipper grab, you know, when yep. you least want it to grab in the middle of the night. When you're fighting to get out of your teepee. Um, yeah, no, this, the center is, is money. And then, you know, another feature, I don't know how much they'll talk about it, but is the, uh, the ability to basically wear that thing like a puffy coat, like it's mm-hmm. got armholes. So, um, when you're in your teepee at night, you know, maybe you decided not to pack the stove on this trip, but you've got the solace, you know, you can just put your armholes out and be in that, in that, uh, sleeping bag and do all your cooking and your eating and basically be zipped up in your mummy bag and still have your arms free and available to eat and do whatever or sit on a sit on a ridge in glass. So, you know, I had this thing up in Alaska this year and on Brady's hunt. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, Brady and Brian were down there um, looking for this bull and, and I was up on the top and, and just glassing. And, dude, the wind came in. Um, the mist came in and I sat in that bag and, you know, I can just glass with ease. You know, I'm completely, you know, built into this bag. Uh, you can wear it full, like you could get in the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Or we've also got a strap where you can basically tuck the tail up behind you. So then you basically got like a puffy jacket on mm-hmm. and I needed it. Like it was, it was game changing on that ridge that day where I could stay up there in that weather and continue to glass with that wind coming through. Um, I had my puffy jacket on, my puffy pants on, and I had that bag on, and uh, that made all the difference. So, just one little feature that that got built into it. That's um, surprisingly one of my favorites. Yeah, multi-use. Multi-use. Anytime, yeah, anytime you can take a piece of gear and make it useful in more situations, definitely beneficial. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, you know the specs on that by chance? Is it good? I mean, Brady's a tall guy. He's probably 6'4". He's probably 6'5", but I'm going to say he's 6'3", or 6'4", just to bump him down a peg. But Yeah, um, no, they got a bag for Brady. Um, they got a tall, they got a regular, okay. wide. Um, yeah, they did multiple sizes. So, yeah, there's there's kind of a bag for everybody. You know, even the short guys like Lil Kaim over there, he's, <laughs> he's what, five and a half feet. So, um, 
yeah. yeah no they they got they got brady covered those those big big giants even so yeah they got a tall but That's yeah a- it's a, it's a 15 degree bag which is kind mm-hmm. of the the perfect you know to try to keep the weight down and all that and um i think i think it's going to be a winner yeah no it's super cool yeah I'm, yeah I'm excited about it 15 degree bag down super lofty um yeah and just like you said just some some features that are built into that that are that are purpose built yeah. So I, I thought yeah. that was awesome. Um, yeah, they nailed it. Yeah. Couple, couple more. Do you, what last piece of advice, new hunter, like, what would you, what would you, like, if you, if you could give one piece of advice to, you know, a relatively new hunter or even a, a seasoned hunter that's trying to, you know, take their, their hunting to another level where they're, they're targeting an older age class animal, just like one piece of advice. Yeah. If you what I always recommend new hunters is find somebody that's uh, got a lot of experience, you know, find that mentor. Um, you know, hopefully you were, you were raised um, with somebody that you can lean on or they can give you a bunch of good information that got some success, but if not find somebody that is, and that's definitely easier said than done. I know that's, mm-hmm. that's not uh, an easy task to go find somebody who's willing to donate time mm-hmm. and you know, time is precious. There's no, not everybody wants to uh, give up a week's worth of time and take a newbie out. But if you can find that guy and that's, you know, social media gets a bad rap on a lot of things, but there's also some really good things about social media. And these days you can reach out to anybody. Mm-hmm. And there's guys out there that are very gracious with their time. Um, and that's kind of why we did these summits. You know, it was a, it was a time where it was a place where, we could bring these new guys in and they could have these mentors in front of their faces um, for just that for four days. Some of it's on the mountain where we're doing, you know, camping and hiking and shooting and all these things. And it's the perfect environment to get those questions answered that we all just kind of look past like this old hat to Mm -hmm. us. But for a new guy, finding someone or a group of people that have experience, if you can somehow, some way, talk them into just donating some of that time or you tagging along even Mm -hmm. without a deer tag or an elk tag being able to come along um you know that is very very valuable uh that is probably the best piece of advice i would give anybody that's just getting into it Mm -hmm. Uh, as far as like a seasoned hunter um what they can do man i don't know i don't know i that's a tough one um i know what you drive and just follow you around (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, uh, I think we can all do more in our research. Um, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter how, how old you are or how many years you've been hunting, but spending more time researching as sad as that is for me to say, but that computer time, which I'm not all that comfortable with, yeah. you guys have made it easy. Um, it's like the one app and, and the one, uh, website that I can even tackle and, and go through mm-hmm. and, and accomplish everything I need as far as research goes. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's the best I got is, is more research time. Never hurt anybody. No. And that's, that's good advice. I, I think back to, you know, when you and I were, were kids, even into my, you know, my teens, my early twenties. Um, yeah, I mean, it was tough. It was tough to figure out draw systems. It was tough to figure out even how they worked or where you should apply and how to apply. Um, <sighs> You know, there was, there was no thing is no such thing as YouTube where you could, you know, Google out calling techniques or any Mm -hmm. of that. It was just, 
it was really, you really had to learn on your own, which is, which is great. I mean, it served me well, but I, I think the curve is certainly shorter now for somebody that somebody that, that wanted to get into it. I mean, all the resources are there for somebody. I think it's like you're saying, it, it's always best if you can find somebody to go out and like help you, you know, hold your hand and a little bit and, and kind of show you the ins and outs of it. But I mean, even, even if you wanted to on your own, I think there's resources now that we never had for sure. Somebody oh my gosh. We're so spoiled right now, right? Trail. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are so spoiled. If you're old enough to remember the days of trying to figure out tag applications mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was not easy, not easy at all. There was very little information. Um, you were well ahead of the game. Like you were ahead of your time. If you were, if you were applying in multiple States back then and trying to figure out the system and now, yeah, I mean, you guys have made it so turnkey. It's, uh, it's, it's too easy almost like you can just go in and, and you can figure out all these opportunity hunts and you can put in everything that you're looking for. And, it shows you this, the units that make the most sense for you. So, yeah, I think for younger guys, just understand um, we are living in the golden era right now when it comes to information um, and access to it. And it just it makes it so easy now to go in and figure out possibilities yeah. and, and opportunity hunts. So, yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely not what we grew up with. That's for sure. You feel like we're living because I even feel that way a little bit about just hunting in general. I feel like hunting is probably in my lifetime. Like I remember hunting in the eighties, like late eighties as a kid, early nineties, it was tough. Yeah. And real I, tough. And, yeah, real tough. And I, I hear so many people talk, you know, I mean, obviously people talk about the fifties, the sixties for mule deer and like the heyday of mule deer and how phenomenal it was. Um, I don't remember that certainly because by the time I started hunting, like it was damn tough. I mean, yeah. really tough. I, I honestly feel like looking at my opportunities right now, I kind of feel like, you know, mule deer are down and I get that, um, you know, I, populations are, are down a little bit over what they were maybe five, 10 years ago. But I, I honestly still feel like, you know, if you're looking at multiple species, if you're looking at elk, um, you know, mule deer, even opportunities, even though they're down a little bit, you know, antelope, I just feel like, man, there's so much opportunity. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't yeah. agree more. I just had a conversation with an old timer the other day, older mm-hmm. than me. And we were talking about just that, you know, um, I remember the eighties. I remember how tough it was. And that, you know what else I remember? How many guys were in the woods back in the eighties and how many yes. horsemen there were and outfitters and, and guys getting deep into the backcountry. Mm-hmm. All the bitterness and the complaining I hear now about how crowded it is out there. It was more crowded in the eighties. It was far more crowded in the places that I went in the eighties. Um, and there were less deer and there were less mature deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then it was like, man, you were looking for forkies and, and, you know, three points and, um, you know, opportunities have gotten better since then. And yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of hunters out there right now, but there were more back then. There were absolutely more hunters back then. And if you spend time in these wilderness areas that, that are just void of people now, look at all the old camps, look at all the old horse horse camps that are pretty much vacated. Um, you don't, you still don't compare today to what we used to have traffic wise Mm -hmm. back in those early days. And I've talked to my dad and my uncles and my grandfather and, and I know how tough it was back then. And 
you think it's a pumpkin patch now. It was a pumpkin patch back then too, if not way worse. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's easy to complain. It's human nature, but I think we're in the golden era right now. I, opportunities are getting less. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think numbers are down on, on mule deer, like you said, but our elk today versus then, gosh, we're pretty lucky to have what we have right now. Yeah. So, um, easy to complain about it, but boy, if you've been around long enough, you know what it was like back then. It's, it wasn't all like rainbows and ice cream back then, man. It was, it was, if not tougher back then than it is right now. So, yeah. um, again easy to complain but we've got it pretty dang good right now so uh yeah there's there's hunters there's hunters at trailheads but dude back then i remember pulling into trailheads and there'd be 20 to 30 horse trailers at these places where i could go today during the opening of mule deer season i may see two i may see three mm -hmm. these are places that back in the day were absolutely packed with people and a lot more horses that were able to really push back in and it's just far less now. And now I'm speaking to, you know, the areas that I know, you know, I grew up in, in Washington and Idaho and Montana, you know, maybe other places are different, but, um, just from what I know and where I hunted and where I hunt today, um, I'm not having much trouble finding places without people. Yeah. It's, it's not a problem. So yeah, per perspective is a crazy thing, right? I mean, every everybody has kind of their own perspective, and it's I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of it is based on on you know your past and what you've you've grown up in. And I I, I agree. I I look at me, you know, growing up, and my I remember I remember my first deer hunt. I shot the only buck that I saw, which is a two point. That was my you know my first deer hunt, and you know we we got out. We we went. You know, I mean, it was it was tough to find a buck, and yeah. we didn't see deer bucks. So yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, yeah, I remember yeah. as a kid when you're really a go-getter, like you have you have all the piss and vinegar to get out there mm -hmm. and just go wherever it takes and you're you're wired for it. Um, we weren't seeing the bucks that we're seeing now. We weren't seeing the deer numbers that we see now. Uh, and again, maybe that's just the areas I hunted, but um, that's not everywhere, but it's, I think we've got it pretty dang good right now. Yeah. Hopefully Mother Nature gives us, um, you know, a few years of, you know, yep. Good, good moisture, but not over, overly zealous. Well, yeah. And you look at Montana, you know, we were absolutely crushing with mule deer and, mm -hmm. and then there was areas where this has been since forever, you know, we always get ups and downs and, um, you know, we had times of drought, you know, back in 2011, we had a time with disease came through and wiped out the Eastern herd and, and things were down for a few years, a handful of years, but then it came back really strong mm -hmm. and, um, Gosh, I'd say 2016 on up until a couple of years ago, it was really strong. And we were seeing all these regress bucks and seeing good animals and numbers. And, and then we had a few years of drought and that drought really took it out on them. You know, we were seeing a lot of deer out there that were holding on to their, their velvet <clears throat> into November and not rutting. And they just didn't have it in the tank, man. Their testosterone was low and, and they, yeah. uh, they weren't rutting at the time they were supposed to rut. And that, that is when I started to notice that the crash was, was happening mm -hmm. and the numbers started to dwindle. And, and a couple of years ago it crashed mm -hmm. and then combo that with last winter that we had that kind of hit everywhere in the West. And yep, we're in a funk right now for sure, but mm -hmm. I don't have any reason to believe that it's not going to come back. 
and we're all going to, you know, suffer for a few years, but I have no reason to believe it's not going to come back. It always has. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree. And I, you know, mother nature, she, the older I've gotten, the more I've kind of realized and you, you look at numbers over time and you correlate that with drought, you know, with severe winter. And like, she, she, she pretty much rules everything when it comes to, yeah. you know, yep. mule deer, specifically mule deer. I mean, elk are, a, you know, a better, harder, hardier animal. Hmm, man. <laughs> I'd like to disagree, but they do take winters a lot better than mule deer. I will say that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I appreciate your time. You've been uh, more than generous. Um, it's been good to catch up. Uh, you, you going to any of the you going to the Western Hunting Expo at all? Yeah, that's the one show we go to. We take the family down and we yeah. kind of catch up with everybody. Is the, the Western Hunt Expo there in Utah? We have a lot of fun with that. And we're going to hang out at the Peaks booth this year and mm-hmm. probably answer a lot of sleeping bag questions. So yeah, yeah it'll be a lot of fun. Well, good deal. We'll have to catch up. We'll pop by. Sweet. Yep. Right. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks. Thanks for Thanks the opportunity, for Trail. Yeah. Have a, have a good afternoon. You as well. Yeah, bye.